this sangha, I am, as guiding teacher of this sangha, I am just delighted to invite and introduce my friend and beloved colleague, Kyra Jewelingo, to talk with us. She was a longtime Plum Village nun in the Thich Nhat Hanh tradition and um, is also an author, an insight meditation teacher, and um, a wonderful human being who is founding a Buddhist Christian contemplative. Can I call it a community, Kyra Jewel? Is that fair? Um, yeah, maybe hermitage or center. We don't know. It's still coming into vision. Yeah. yeah. And um, just does some beautiful work with her husband, Adam Bucco, an Episcopal priest. Kyra Jewell is also the author of two books. Um, she wrote We Are Made for These Times a few years back. And her most recent book, which I'm excited about, co-authored with two other African-American Buddhist teachers called Healing Our Way Home. Yes, there, there it is. <laughs> and I have not finished it yet, but I've started it and I'm enjoying it thoroughly. So I'm hoping that your talk will touch on some of the um, resonances from, from that journey of yours. Um, I think that's all I can think of to say. Kyra Jewel, is there anything else you'd like to add at the beginning here? Um, just that I'm calling in from Long Island, the, the land of the Muncie, Lenape, and Merrick peoples. Yeah. Great. Thank you. Welcome. <laughs> Thanks so much, Don. Um, so, I, I think what uh, we'll do is have um, all guide us in a meditation, just a brief one. I know for those of you, I can see you sitting on your zabatans and chairs. It's so nice to <laughs> see the people who are joining from the live center. I know you all have just had a meditation, I think, but we'll do like a 10 minute meditation and um, and then I'll read a little bit from this new book, but um, basically tell some stories of healing. And then the last part, maybe 15 minutes or so, will be for your questions. Does that sound right, Carolyn? Yeah? Okay. So um, we may have more time for questions. My, my talk might be shorter. So... Um, the meditation that I wanted to offer you is one that I really love. And um, it's also in our new book, Healing Our Way Home. And also, maybe I'll just say from the outset, this is, uh, Dawn was so kind to um, be so encouraging of this. Um, the book came out officially on Tuesday this week. And uh, we couldn't get all three authors together for um a date so soon because one of our co-authors is on a retreat but so john was like why don't you do a a, a shorter you know like a um, an event just to kind of uplift the book but then we'll have all three of you come later so i just wanted you to know um in a couple months we'll do a proper book talk so this is just like a a little preview of the book and I'm happy to share about it, but we hope to all three of us come join you 
in a few months and do um, a session really um, dedicated to the book. But this is an exciting moment for me because outside of the book launch, which was Tuesday, this is the first, the first thing <laughs> uh, that's, that's happening publicly around the book. Um, so yeah, so this meditation is in this book. Um, and the, um, the main uh, teaching in this meditation comes from Thich Nhat Hanh. It's a, it's a plum village meditation where we have um, an exercise that we contemplate on the in-breath, an exercise we contemplate on the out-breath, and then key words that we repeat, that we can recite silently to ourselves in the, in the time of silence in between each exercise. Um, and if the breathing isn't something helpful for you in this moment, you can just practice with the meaning of the words and, and let go of the combining it with the breath. But the thrust of this meditation is, um, I have arrived, I am home. This is a very kind of classic teaching of Thich Nhat Hanh. And in fact, he said, if, if, um, if you were to, you know, take the essence of all of his teachings, because he was, he became a monk at age 16, and he passed away about two years ago at the age of 90, I don't remember, 96 or something, but a good 70 years of teaching. He said, if you would condense all of my teachings, you could sum everything up into this one phrase, which is, I have arrived, I am home. That's all that I've been trying to do <laughs> with my teaching. So it's, it's really about coming into this moment fully. That's the I have arrived, like calling all the different parts of ourselves that might be in the past, in the future, in our um, thoughts and projects and worries, and inviting it all to come back to this moment. So I have arrived right here, right now. And then I am home is I can actually choose to um, claim this moment as my home, as the, the place that I really need to be. And no other place is as important as right here. Um, no other moment is as important as right now. And so I can come home in, into this moment, into this body, into these emotions, into these thoughts. I can um, tune in to the frequency of home, which is always there. It's always there. like. Radio stations are always there, but we, we just might not be tuning into them, right? The, the waves are being sent out, but it's only when we turn the dial to that radio station that, that we receive the message. So the home is always there. So this meditation is about tuning into that frequency that we can be home, we can be We can be 
deeply accepting of ourselves just as we are. With whatever is lacking and with whatever bounty is also here. You don't have to run somewhere else to get somewhere else to be something else. So that's the, uh, that's the gist of this meditation. So I invite you to come into whatever position will support you for a short practice. Allow your body to settle into as much ease as is possible. And Connect with the places your body is making contact to whatever is supporting you. And into those places, especially with the exhale, allow your body to release and let go, resting. being supported by the earth. Connecting with the breath, breathing in, you can know the in-breath is flowing in, and breathing out, knowing, being there with the out-breath flowing out, in, out. Breathing in, I have arrived. Breathing out, I am home. Arrived, home.
inviting all the parts of ourselves that may be elsewhere in some other time to regather and arrive deeply. And in that arriving, touching into the capacity to be at home with ourselves just as we are, without requiring anything else to happen for us to be okay, to be received, to belong. Arrived home. Breathing in, I dwell in the here. Breathing out, I dwell in the now. Here, now. Breathing in, we nourish solidity, stability. Breathing out, I feel free. I allow freedom to arise. I am solid. I am free. Solid. 
three. For a sound of the bell to close our meditation, inviting the sound to support us in coming home to our true self, arriving deeply into this moment. Thank you for your practice. So I'll read a section from the book um, that is a, one story of healing. And, um, and arriving and finding my home inside myself. It's actually from um, chapter two, which is about home, place, and belonging. So um, one of the things I love about this book is it was a, a book that got talked. It didn't get written. It was conversations between friends that we recorded on Zoom, and then we transcribed the conversation. So I'm speaking in response to um, Valerie Brown and Maricela Gomez, what they've been sharing earlier in the conversation about what it means to come home, what it means to belong. So 
Um, the experience of leaving the monastic life was a powerful experience. This was in 2013, I left the monastery. 2015, I disrobed. It was a powerful experience of having to trust myself and my own still small voice inside that was not lining up with what other people around me were saying for the first time in my life. I remember being so afraid to leave and wondering how I could possibly survive. I remember that I felt that the only way I could really truly practice was in the monastery and that my whole life was going to fall apart if I left. Leaving felt like going into the wilderness. It is also true that I learned a lot about touching my true home inside of me as a nun, especially as I watched Thai, or Thich Nhat Hanh, as his students would call him, as we traveled to so many places and had to show up and offer something meaningful in all of these different contexts and cultures. I had a deepening confidence and trust in myself. I realized that there was this energy that I could call up even in situations where I didn't think it would be possible. For example, when I hadn't gotten any sleep and was jet lagged, and as soon as we landed in Macau near Hong Kong, I was assigned to lead deep relaxation with Sister Chung Kong, and I was able to do that. I had the energy for things I didn't think I could do. There was this sense of finding a source in myself. The wellspring I was able to draw from is what we call bodhicitta, the wish to serve, the bodhisattva path of being a channel to bring relief and healing to places of distress and suffering. That's what gave me energy I didn't think I had. When I was a nun, that sense of home was so connected to the community, and it had been for my whole life. I was at home in a group of people who were all doing the same thing. That's how I grew up in my family of origin and my life as a nun was a complete continuation of that. So the understanding of finding home in myself really deepened when I left the monastic community because it was the first time that I wasn't syncing up with a group of people around me. I had to listen to something that was my truth that for the first time was not reflected back at me. No one in our community wanted me to leave. I had to go my own way and there wasn't anything waiting for me on the outside. But I found that when I just took that leap of faith, life met me and I was taken care of. I didn't know what the next step was going to be but I didn't have to know. I just had to be fully present with that one step. I have arrived. I am home. Excuse me, Kyra Jewell. Yes. I I'm hearing that the uh, audio is a little fuzzy. Okay. Let me and put I, in my headphones. Okay. Thank you for telling me. Sure. And um, maybe speak up just a little bit louder. Sure. Thank you. Better? Yeah. You're muted, Carolyn. Is that better online for people? 
that better? Yes. Okay. That's what I'm right. saying. Thank you. Did you get most of the story? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I'll keep going. So I didn't have to know what the next step was going to be. I just had to be fully present with that one step. And then as I took the next step, the next thing was revealed and I was cared for and I had what I needed. That was when I really understood the lines from the song, Here is the Pure Land, which say, The Sangha body is everywhere. My true home is right here. I had been singing that song for 20 years, but it wasn't till I left the monastery that I really understood, This is for real. The Sangha body is everywhere. My true home is right here. When Tai says he found his true home because he was in exile, when he says that the only reason he found his true home was because he was deprived of his physical home in Vietnam, I understood that for myself in a new and deeper way. So this experience of choosing to go into the wilderness to exile myself was this opportunity to know that I was going to be taken care of. And whatever that meant, I knew that I didn't have to worry. I could find some way to be safe inside myself, wherever I found myself. So that's one of my stories of healing. Um, and I'd love to share another. Um, from a time when I was a nun. This is not in the book. Um, this in another book. <laughs> this is a book that also came out in October. It's called Tears Become Rain, and it's um, stories of transformation and healing inspired by Thich Nhat Hanh. It's about 32 different people sharing their stories with Thich Nhat Hanh. So, um, um, I think I'll read it also. I hope it's not too, <laughs> too much to be read to. <laughs> okay. Okay. This, this one is this essay, this little piece in the book is called just one look. In 2003, I traveled with Thich Nhat Hanh and several hundred monastic and lay students to China to offer retreats, public talks, and days of mindfulness in different parts of the country. At that time, I was a nun in Thai's community. Like all teaching tours with him, this one was more like a pilgrimage. Many inner and outer blessings and challenges called forth the best in us while helping us to compassionately recognize and befriend the worst in us. At some point on the trip, I started feeling very bad about myself. For several days, I experienced gnawing self-doubt, fueled by self-judgment and aversion to who I felt I was and what was going on inside me, the kind of self-absorbed thinking that narrows your mind and cuts you off from others heavy emotions so consuming and persuasive you cannot connect with or be open to other realities. Anybody experience that? Okay, thank you. 
not alone. That morning we were en route from one city to another and I remember boarding the bus full of misery, feeling utterly dejected and desperate. Tai was sitting in the front row as he always did to make sure the driver stayed awake and that we would all be safe. As I got to the top step, I lifted my gaze and our eyes met. Tai was looking at me most intently with a compassion and love so huge, I felt it physically. A palpable energy of affirmation, care, and deep understanding of my pain penetrated my body and mind. I had never seen that depth of kindness in someone's eyes before and especially never directed at me. As if a great being or Buddha were looking at me through a magnifying glass of unconditional love. The look was so focused that it burned away attachment to my story and removed the deluded tendrils and seductive hooks, keeping me bound up in the little picture, the small self. It was a moment of grace and it took my breath away. Though I had to continue moving past Thai to take my seat, inside I had stopped completely. I was changed. Thai's brief look opened up a moment of timelessness in the midst of the pressures of worldly time, and it created a moment of well-being and wholeness in the midst of intense suffering and brokenness. Tai's look taught me that awakening is possible in every moment, even if it is a tiny waking up to the reality of this moment, where innate goodness and worthiness can always be affirmed. His look kindled a deep desire to be able to look at other people in that way myself, with boundless compassion and love that can wordlessly relieve suffering and inspire great confidence and joy. I think back to the many things Tai might have been preoccupied with in that moment, for the trips to China were especially challenging ones. We were a Buddhist delegation in a communist country that was at times welcoming, at times ambiguous, and at times suspicious of our presence. Tai was guiding not just several hundred lay and monastic followers, but digging deep into his own vast knowledge and experience to be able to offer culturally appropriate teachings to thousands of Chinese people. At the same time, he was gently, and sometimes not so gently, encouraging them to move beyond narrow views and reclaim their powerful ancestral wisdom. He had his own health and safety to be concerned about, as well as that of all of us who accompanied him. And yet, right in the midst of it, he was free from all of that, free enough to see me clearly, free enough to care about me, and free enough to zap me with incredible peace and freedom. And I'll share one more story, and then I'll open it up to you. Um, so this one um, was from a time when I was a novice. And um, I had 
just recently ordained in France, in Pont Village, southwest France. And um, there was an older sister who um, had had a lot of suffering and it came out in her speech. And I was struggling with how to, you know, to know how to practice with that and, and suffering. And uh, I had the chance to be Thai's attendant with another sister. This would happen on a regular basis. We'd have a rotation of, of the novices would get to um, take care of Thai when he came to, to our hamlet for the day. So I would serve him tea. We would prepare his um, dharma seat and bring guests in to see him. Anyway, after lunch, we were having a quiet moment and Tai was resting. He loved to uh, rest in a hammock in his room in our hamlet. So he was resting on the hammock and he turned to me and he said, you know, other people are the path. And it was this very simple, he didn't elaborate on it, but I knew exactly what he was saying to me about this difficult situation I was having with this sister. And I really took that in. It's like when we have difficulties with people, um, that's the path right there. It's not, you know, sometimes we think when difficulties arise that we are supposed to that's that that's not supposed to happen that we're we should get around that we should get away from that we should that something's wrong something you know is happening that shouldn't be happening and when he said that i was like okay this is my path how can i learn to be in community with someone who has you know this suffering and and i have my suffering too how can i see this as really a chance to to practice healing and transformation, not um, blaming, judgment, gossiping, <laughs> developing a grudge or resentment. Okay. And that's, that wisdom has stayed with me ever since, this sense of, um, I mean, I, I, I can't say I've practiced it every time I've had a difficulty, <laughs> um, but I have remembered it. it. It lodged so deeply in me, this, um, you know, very compassionate teaching that when things aren't going the way you want them to, that's really the moment to practice. It's not the moment to throw up your hands and say, oh, the practice doesn't work. You know, it's, it's a chance to see, okay, other people are the path. I myself am the path too. So my emotions my conflicts uh, or, or the conflicts that arise interpersonally, the, the difficulties that arise in a group, that's the very path of awakening. If we stay on it, if we apply the teachings, we, we go towards awakening. Um, and, and when I think about what's happening in our world, all the ways that our society and climate and biosphere and so many species are breaking down. Um, I think of it in that sense too. It's like, well, 
other species, other people, other cultures, uh, wars, conflicts are the path. This moment, whatever is happening, that's the path. Climate crisis, that's the path. How do we how do we not see anything as outside of our practice, as not here to wake us up? It's all here for us to um, bring our mindfulness, bring our care, bring our wisdom, bring our compassion to, not to turn away from it, not to push it away. Um, So, you know, and, and other people are the path, other beings are the path is also true when there's beauty and there's joy and there's connection and, and love. It's not just when things are difficult. Um, being part of something larger than ourselves knowing that we are interconnected and that the one contains the all, the all contains the one. So when, when there's beauty, when there's joy in our relationships, in our community, that's the path to see that, to celebrate that, to not miss that. And when there's conflict and difficulty and estrangement, that's also the path. So, just a few, few reflections. And um, thank you for your kind attention. I'll um, leave the floor now for any of you that wish to share or ask a question or comment. And we are still recording. Do you want to continue to record or how, how do you I feel think, about that? Um, I'm not sure what what what's going to happen with the recording? Is it just for this group of people or for uh, audio dharma? It'll go up. Oh, I would say we could stop the recording, then people can feel at ease. To, okay, that, that it will be confidential. Yeah. Thanks for. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.